uh, well, I don't want to, like, get too topical on it, but I would like to start with a statement that our, uh, podcast does not, uh, endorse, uh, sentimentalize or rehabilitate the public image of people who, uh, I don't know, I guess at the very least for the Falklands War, uh, campaigned against the, you know, independence movement of Ghana, you know, put their siblings into asylums, uh, to just waste away, uh, with not a single visit or financial support, um, or, I don't know, uh, you know, takes the poverty fund to heat, you know, certain palaces. But aside from that, and we're not naming names, um, but aside from that, the Honor Book Fair podcast does extend, uh, our, you know, thoughts and condol and compassion for, uh, the people of England who are struggling with a very hard time right now as they're facing down an entire winter of food and heat shortages mm. while their nation funnels all of their uh, imperial wealth into grotesque displays of weepy, sentimental opulence for a corpse. And it's the Honor Book Fair podcast. And a new wave <laughs> of anti-trans legislation from their new prime minister. Oh, the truss is yeah. sus. Uh, Tossed that tea in the harbor for a reason, didn't we? They're trying to put all the teas... <laughs> in their harbors to drown over there on Turf Island. But this is the Honor Book Fair podcast. I'm Jay. I'm Miles. I'm Daniel. And if you identify as an American at all, why would you care? Isn't this like a win? Like, don't you get a... If you like, if you align yourself and your identity and your sense of pride with like the national jingoism of like, uh, hell yeah, the revolution. Like, why do you care? Isn't this a win? Like, isn't that cool? Be like, yeah, I get fucked. This ancient... Uh, ancient ass uh, societal order is like finally losing the last little clinging symbolic barnacles to the culture. It's feudalism, folks, and we're here to talk today about a young woman who is dealing with the, on a, on a big scale, dealing with the uh, grieving and reconciling with her relationship to a grand matronly mm -hmm. figure of her own with a grotesque power over sheep, which the same can be said of the grotesque power or just like arcane arcane, arcane. power over I would sheep. go with arcane yeah. granny aching does yeah. good things yes she has arcane power over masses of sheep on an island and that's why today we're talking about terry pratchett's hit book the we free men yeah. and it took me a second in reading this it took me a while we read through the first half of it we stopped at the end of chapter seven mm -hmm. and just today uh, approaching the end of this first half we read i thought wait a minute this isn't even Discworld. it is actually it is is Discworld. it mm -hmm. the chalk is part of Discworld. i forget exactly where it is it's not quite it's like somewhere between where everything happens and the rem tops but it's it's on Discworld. oh yeah, all this, right this yeah. is like Discworld book 40 or some shit <laughs> yes <laughs> You know, I think all of the covers I've seen, you know what, what What made me think it wasn't like this? All the covers I'd seen were not in the style of his Discworld series, you know? Mm -hmm. It's had a number of different covers. Yeah, it's it's definitely like a mm -hmm. more of a side story because it's meant to be, you know, a children's book as opposed to the Discworld, you know, the main Discworld books. But yet, uh, in later books in this, in the Tiffany Aching series, Death shows up. So do the other, the other witches of Discworld. So, oh, yeah. no shit. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I just didn't catch any, you know, turtle with the elephants with the world on it. <laughs> I'm actually looking at a bunch of Discworld covers, and it's actually hard to find the artwork that was the set of the Discworld that I read a lot as a kid. Mm -hmm. it, it was those, like, Barnes & Noble paperbacks. Right. I'm having a far, hard time finding oh, this like set The ones with, like, the really covers. colorful, like, bizarre, sort of bizarre-looking... Um, covers yeah like, yeah they were just rather wild and they looked really well it was cool. consistent it was consistent frames and then like some sort of you know art piece in the center of it and these are really actually hard to find i'm posting i'm copying this image now but as i'm scrolling through there's tons of covers for pratchett's discworld series but these are the kind of ones in particular that i remember these like block text uh oh man oh, and yes I'm, i have those these i read a bunch of i remember mm -hmm. going postal i remember mort I, I remember really liking the color of magic. That was one of those early, like, mind-expanding ones about, like, hey, imagine a color that you've never seen before, a new color. And I was like, damn, that's hard. Yes. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this. You two have, I would say, pretty significant experience with Terry Pratchett. Yeah? Yes. Yes. This is the first Pratchett book I've read. Which wow. I know will surprise yes. a lot of people who know me, including you two, because 
Pratchett seems like he'd be right up my alley. I've been recommended to read Terry Pratchett for a long time by many, many people. And uh, yeah, they were right. This, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really enjoying his writing style. I actually made a specific note uh, by page seven, uh, specifically that moment of her talking about uh, her, her talking about her dress. Uh, it had been owned by many sisters as well, and it had been taken up, taken out, taken down, and taken in by her mother so many times that it really ought to have been taken away. I made a specific <laughs> note of them. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna love this book. Yep. <laughs> like there is, there, there's a, there's a definite style of his writing, and with Ursula K. Le Guin, and a bit too with Brian Jakes. That like they're clearly writing with the intention of these books being read aloud. Yes. Uh, even to the point of making mention of one of the characters, um, Miss Tick, who, yeah. like... <laughs> even, Great little wordplay making... section about, like, it means to say that I'm mystic, and it's like, yeah, but it makes you sound like a blood-sucking parasite. What about <laughs> Miss Teak? It's a little fancier, and Teak is like a type of wood, you know? Yeah, it's, it's so funny to me reading that section because it's obviously put in there to be like a, okay, in case they're not reading it out loud and haven't gotten it, here's the joke I'm going for. Yep. Because this joke plays better spoken than it does written, but I don't want to abandon and it. <laughs> yes. And you know what? That takes balls to put into something you know that you're writing as a book. I wonder, like, to what it, when he at the time he was writing this, I wonder how prolific like recording audiobooks was, mm -hmm. and like if he had considered that. Because like then, if you're writing this book and be like, I know this is going to get read on tape, mm -hmm. so what about a couple? You know, audio jokes about like you know hors d'oeuvres and hors d'oeuvres are different things. Yeah, some hors d'oeuvres. The hors d'oeuvres. I mean, it was written in two thousand and three, and I remember audiobooks were picking up. We Free Men was they only in two thousand three. Yeah. Oh my god, I I definitely I got more of a like eighties vibe from this. Yeah, he does yeah. have that. He he is an eighties fantasy type guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and wow, then he was you, he was putting out a lot of shit in like rapid succession. Then if like Discworld was popping off still in the early two thousands, yeah, yeah, he's got and, tons of shit. And so you, Miles, you said you didn't read any Pratchett growing up, but you read tons of Douglas Adams. I did, yeah, and that's a large part of why people recommended Pratchett to me because they have relatively similar senses of humor. I'd say there's there's less absurdist humor and more. Um, more linguistical humor in Pratchett's work, but I, I'm here for linguistic humor. I love linguistic humor. What I uh, what I connected a lot about Pratchett's and uh, Adams's writing voice was the way they would play with, like the sort of unjokes of figurative language, like uh -huh. matching their surrealist sensibilities with like a way of using figurative language that just it sinks itself uh, for comedic effects. Like they would both write that like. Uh, the butterfly floated across the surface of the pond in exactly the way that a mushroom does not. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, something like or that. They would, like, use figurative language. They hung there precisely the way bricks don't. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> or what is it? There's a... I think it's in Morch. It says that li light on the Discworld doesn't... Dawn on the Discworld doesn't break. Light's been around a while. It takes its own time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. They're really clever on that sort of stuff. And, man... Oh. I really think you should get, I, like, listen, we are the fifth in at least the next 200 of people evangelizing Pratchett's work. But, like, you start with any of the stuff that revolves around death and his apprentice Mort. Mm -hmm. uh, you go to Small Gods. Small Gods blew my mind as a kid. I have that one right over there. Yes. Yeah. And uh, actually, um, The We Free Men was the first Pratchett book that I read. And that made me say, oh, I need Discworld. And I read Pratchett's books, like, in rapid succession. I think I did this one, then Mort, then uh, then I read more Tiffany Aching. So yeah. How many oh. Tiffy, Tiffany Aching books are there? I think it's five. There's hang on, let me think. Wow. There's The We Free Men, Hatful of Sky, um, Winter Smith, I Shall Wear Midnight, and his last book that he ever wrote was uh, The Shepherd's Crown. So there's five. Interesting. Um, another good example of the linguistical jokes in here, uh, just. Uh, the good children, the good child's book of fairy tales, so old that it belonged to an age when there were far more e's around. <laughs> so yeah. fucking good. <laughs> yeah, like book had an e at the end of it. So did good. So did child. <laughs> there were far more e's around. 
and like that that stuff is just so fucking good and uh either of you you might know this since you're a little bit more familiar with him uh was terry pratchett a teacher at any point i i don't know he may have been i actually don't remember because some small bits here and there in this book stuck out to me as like were you a teacher, Terry? Were you, were you a oh, teacher? His, yeah, his portrayal of like how teachers are sort of treated culturally, <laughs> especially on the chalk, as like almost you, you know traveling nomadic uh, merchants of just information <laughs> yes. that are like kind of despised. I okay, mm-hmm. there's an ethnic stereotype that exists in the real world that I don't want to say aloud and compare them to, but I think you you all know yeah. about suspicious uh, nomadic people setting up shops. Uh, yes. there, there's a really good excerpt from this book about that of just like talking about how the teachers are treated and it mirrors the US a bit uh, people were usually quite pleased to see them they taught children enough to shut them up which was the main thing after all but they always had to be driven out of the village by nightfall in case they stole chickens they're grateful to the <laughs> service they provide but fuck they them if them. Th- yeah they don't want to <laughs> pay them they don't want to have to allocate any resources towards them and there's such a thing as too much knowledge now. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Oh, man. So let's get into it, though. This yes. book uh, parallels a lot of the other stuff we read, that this is a magic child uh, that realizes they are in some way, like, hereditarily magic and then has adventures with it. And um, is exceptionally is loosest... magic. Yeah. yeah, which is the loosest term we can also describe, like, that much like uh, Legendborn, this person has a complex matrilineal history uh, revolving, you know, their dead relatives. Yeah. yeah. Though I would say probably definitely less complex than Legendborn. We're not going to be grappling yeah. with a lot of the same <laughs> issues in this. Yeah. No. I mean, Legendborn Tiffany is nine. <laughs> and Legendborn <laughs> took place in America and all of the racial dynamics therein. So, yeah. yeah. This is Discworld, which is a sight uh, lighter. Also, I appreciate the uh, the setting of this is the chalk, and that was, was apparently based off of Terry Pratchett's own childhood and the area he grew up in. Like you can tell when he describes it, like this is a place he loves very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're supposed to we're supposed to have affection for this place, this deeply pastoral society. Uh, but it kind of opens a bit with a warning too from this witch of like, hey, this is a place where magic kind of can't work because witches need good strong earth beneath them and chalk is too flimsy but here she is tiffany aching she's she's so powerful she bashed a river monster in the face with a frying pan as one uh, it's called it is an island largely composed of chalk as a mineral is that it mm-hmm. um i think i'm not sure it's an island exactly as so much as it's like just sort of uh, highlands on the, i've never actually mm-hmm. seen it on a map of Discworld. I thought I thought it was an island. It felt like she it described it as an island frequently. Oh, it might be. You or know what? He Let described me find it as out. Island. I got lost thinking about Ursula K. Le Guin. Maybe yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm just stuck in Earth Sea mode. I think it's all islands. I'm finding us a map of Discworld. Oh we fuck! See. We still haven't put out the Earth Sea episode, have we? I'm not. That's my fault. No, it's it's time, cool. I just okay, remembered this, that it existed. That's yeah. Well. Okay. You're you're no busy. You've got shit going on. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, in case you couldn't tell, audience, we've had a lot of things come up. But, sure uh, have. Oh, one of the other things that really stuck out to me early on was um, when he was describing... When he was describing Tiffany... Not Tiffany, Tiffin... I don't remember her name now. I've just been shortening it to Tiff in my oh. head. Uh, hmm? But he was describing... Okay, Tiffany. Uh, describing her little brother, Wentworth... And it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, no, this is a description coming from someone who has been around kids so fucking much and is probably a parent. Um, Anything could make Wentworth sticky. Washed and dried and left in the middle of a clean floor for five minutes, Wentworth would be sticky. It didn't seem to come from anywhere. He just got sticky. But he was an easy child to mind, provided you stopped him from eating frogs. And, like, yep. Yep. I know at least three kids like that, and I'm not even a teacher. <laughs> I feel like I probably was a kid like that. <laughs> yes, I I have spent 
many hours keeping watch over kids like that. And it's true. They will just get sticky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, I hated being um, sticky as a kid. Like, I needed to wash my hands. I would be, I would eat a cotton candy or something, and then you're stuck at the baseball game for the rest of that whole time with your hands sticky. And I'm like, ugh. Meanwhile, uh, Tiffany's brain is the sticky one. Oh, yes. Her, her brain is very sticky. <laughs> She's one of those kids that learns a lot. Ooh. Yeah, uh, which... Holy shit, I, I definitely felt some parallels happening between my childhood and Tiffany. Like one of her she yeah, read her bits, she read the dictionary big... all the way through. No one told her you weren't supposed to. Like, yeah, I also did that as a kid. <laughs> yes, and there are some words that she only know that she only knows in writing and doesn't actually know how to pronounce them. Yeah. Like when she yep, she meets Miss Tick, a witch, and she says, Oh, you're making a poo a pune and she doesn't know that it's supposed to be pun. She's never mm-hmm. heard it said before. No one's going to say the word pun around the farm. Yeah, they don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. so she she uses she notices something weird happening and she also sees these these little little folks uh floating around in a tiny boat in the stream. She's she opens where oh, we the book opens with her tickling fish. Mhm. Uh okay. Uh with, yeah, it's so <laughs> weird cuz normally fish are the one tickling you as a kid. Uh, but <laughs> but, um, but she, but she, the, she, she she's from this like uh, shepherd and dairy family. Like she knows dairy. She churns butter and she makes cheeses. Yeah, and she's real good with cheese. Yep, that's her thing. She's the cheese witch. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we before we even meet her, we briefly we meet Miss Tick, who uh, is a witch speaking to a voice that we don't quite. Was it? He calls it. She's speaking to a small and, for now, mysterious voice from somewhere near her feet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yep. she, and she divines, like, uh, oh, there's a witch over there on that wor- on that little part of the world? And it's like, but how? That's chalk over there. Witches can't be on chalk. It's not good solid land to do magic on. And then it's just like, oh, I better go out there and, you know, figure out what this young up-and-coming witch is up to as her powers begin to awaken. Yeah, because she noticed a, like, weird disturbance in the area. Yes. And she divines it by making a really weird contraption that I, I forget. Yeah, it's, well, let me see. It's like a, a couple of twigs tied together with string, a stone with a hole in it, an egg, a part of a stocking, a pin, a piece of paper, and a tiny stub of pencil. And she makes yeah. it a thing. That a sh- Rube that, Goldberg machine. Yes, a Rube Goldberg machine that shows that there is a disturbance in the disc. Yeah. The marble rolls down the track and dislodges chicken bones that fall in a way that allows you to divine the future. Clearly. It's, it's, it's you know, it's a little device. It, it measures the, uh, the changes in the magical fields. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fine. Uh, yeah. There's probably something to be said for, like, that amount of stuff. I can't remember that exact list of materials. But, like, it is little samples of a bunch of different materials that, like, if you're an alchemist, maybe they react certain ways to, like, the flow of magic in the world and you can like detect based on each of their reactions compared to each other like what the nature and direction of some new magic is i mean it's like a like a a sample like a sample kit like when they get they get they put that one thing with a bunch of little needles on you to do an allergy test or like a geological field sample kit which has like a piece of tile in it a um a, a pencil um oh a penny some other shit like oh a small like dropper of water to just see how whatever rock you find reacts with those different things. Yeah, it's like I a, think that's a exactly what reality. that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep, and that prompts her to spy on Tiffany Tickling Trout with Sticky Wentworth. Yeah, uh, who she then uses as bait uh, whenever <laughs> yeah. she feels like there's some sort of attack coming from this weird creature with teeth. Coming from nowhere, it seems. Coming from magical disturbances. A shimmer uh, in the water. Yeah. Invisible, but present. The sky turns to diamond, and she knows an attack is coming. And so she uses her little brother as bait and smacks it in the face with a frying pan and runs off. Yep. I and then, got his ass. Yeah. <laughs> I like how her first reaction to a monster in the creek is, you know, not to run and tell someone, not just, I'm going to go handle this, and to grab a frying pan and smack it in the face. Yeah. And it's a good thing, too, because that frying pan's got iron in it. Oh, yes. And iron's very good for defeating fey creatures, which is what this is. Yes. 
And also at the river here, we like caught the first sight of the wee free men that were just yes. like, oh, there's a, oh, blimey, there's a ding old teethman in the lake. I can't yeah, do it. I can't these... even pretend to do voices. They're excessively Scottish. Yeah, they yeah. they are the most Scottish. <laughs> They're, you know, I was, especially with the cover art I saw of them, I'm just like, is this racist somehow? It. It definitely holds a lot of the Scottish prejudices. Uh, I just which... can't say definitively that it isn't. In some way, racist. If you were able to define uh, Scots as a race, that would have to be part of it. I mean, Scots is a people and a language, but um, yeah, and and this race this is does hold, arbitrarily. Yeah, th- this does hold um, a lot of the stereotypes that are present in degra- degradatory Scottish portrayals. Derogatory. Derogatory, yes, that's thank you. Derogatory, that's the word, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's it's weird, but also, I don't know. Um, They're, like, really endearing. <laughs> they are. They they are, yeah. No, I gotta well, disagree. I couldn't mostly. stand it. No? That was, no, they, I thought they were really annoying. I couldn't imagine. Okay, it, in my defense as well, I don't know how it was written in text. Once again, I'm running around at work. I'm listening to the audiobook. Oh, uh, see. The guy doing it. He's doing great voices for everybody, but goddamn, that shit's annoying. Ah, uh, see, it's better in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, I, I definitely do the thing where I'm reading it, and then it's like, okay, well, I've got to say this out loud now. It's like Scottish Twitter; you have to read it out loud. <laughs> it's true. I um, mean, you know, what was it like? The was that the was that the so, sorry. Oh yeah. Ground. Some men circling. What's his dinner? Yes. Who's Ken? What's his dinner? Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely some things take a second look. I mean, I I grew up reading Redwall and reading the mole speech, so I was like, oh, okay, phonetic phonetic spelling of his accent. I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um. But yeah. Tiffany meets the a couple of the wee free men before she actually meets them as. Mm-hmm. And oh, they come back. They sure do. Yeah. Um, but then you know our our wonderful Miss Tick goes into goes into town and she runs into some travelers and she joins up with them because she knows that this is a good way to uh, to find Tiffany because Tiffany goes and she tries to get some learning some schooling from these traveling teachers and we get some nice things about like oh yeah no she uh, she took geology classes from this person who actually refunded her a couple of carrots because she pointed out that he had misspelled the sign and, like, she has an interaction with someone who is just really shitty to her in that way that insecure teachers are shitty to children who know a lot. Uh, Let me see if I can find it. Oh, right, where uh, she says to him, I'd I'd like a question answered today, and he he says, uh, provided it's not the one about how you get baby hedgehogs. And she says, no. It's about zoology. He says, hey, that's a big word, isn't it? And she goes, no, actually it isn't. Patronizing is a big word. Zoology is really quite short. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and like, So of course the teachers here are bad teachers, but that's what yeah. happens when teaching as, a, I don't know, a social reproductive tool is so uh, specifically marginalized and uh, derided. Yeah. I, I will also say some of these teachers seem... All right, but like, yeah, this guy not so much. Um, Dan, I I would wager this was your experience too. One of the earliest things that you learned when teaching was like, especially peer teaching, when mm. other teachers would be your students, uh, was some students are gonna be smart, Alex, and and they're gonna know things. Shut the fuck up yeah. and accept <laughs> it and celebrate it. And if you don't have an answer to a question, don't get mad at them for having a question you don't have an answer to. Tell them, I don't know. I'll check and I'll get back to you. Or you check. You're a kid. You're a modern day kid. Get You got Google. (laughs) Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is true. But also. Let me tell you, kid, the the most important thing to teach is like just how to research things on your own. And that's like saying do your own research, which is a catchphrase for the worst kind of psychos these days. But. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. But yes. also, to be fair, teachers make way worse students than any student I've ever had. Teachers are the worst fucking audience. We're terrible. Yep. Every single 
in-service day I've gone to, it's always the old teachers talking in the back like it's eighth grade math, and they're mm -hmm. talking so loud you can't hear what you're supposed to learn. And every time you're giving some kind of presentation, they're the ones who come up to you afterwards to give you pointers and tips that you did not ask mm -hmm. for in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yes, indeed. I do. Oh. It does seem sort of like, I don't know, what was it? Miss Tick joins up with them and even says, if I can't do, I will teach. So, yeah, I, not I, if I can't do, just like, I won't be able to do, but I can still teach. <laughs> Because yes. she can. She can still teach magic, even if she can't do it in that place because of the soft soil. Uh, which is such a, like, weird restriction, but it's it's just instantly accepted. It's just, yep. okay, yeah, no, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, like, can, I can sense. work with this. Yep. Sure. It's chalk. That's how it is for witches. Yeah, and that's why they don't ever want to go out to sea is because then they don't have anything. Like, okay, okay, cool, yep. yeah. I can work with you on this. This is fine. Uh, and... Miss Tick and Tiffany have a, I'd say, a tense conversation <laughs> because Tiffany wants to know everything and Miss Tick sees, sees herself in Tiffany. And, and yeah, seeing yourself in students when, those, when like you were that annoying, constantly asking questions kid, like, yeah, yeah, I get it, yeah. <laughs> um... I think I wouldn't this, like, like that. I think I would be resentful of the kid. <laughs> uh, How dare you reflect my experience back to me, you little shit. No, that's absolutely what's happening here. Yep. Uh, oh, and they have, like, a weird back and forth where it's like, well, I mean, you sure seem like a witch. Well, yeah, but, I mean, look at all the ways that I don't seem like a witch. Like, yeah, that's exactly what a witch who knows that witches get put to death here would do. Uh... <laughs> She wasn't wearing any occult jewelry or have a glowing magical knife or a silver goblet with a pattern of skulls all around it or carry a broomstick with sparks coming out of it, all of which are tiny hints that there may be a witch around. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, those would be tiny hints of a witch. Uh, but all the while, Tiffany is also reflecting on the two suspected witches in the area. Her deceased grandmother, who was just like universally revered but also generally considered to be a witch but i guess a good witch uh, mm. and this old woman whose name i have lost mrs snapperly or miss yeah. yeah mrs snapperly who was suspected of being a witch because she you know lived alone and had a cat and didn't have teeth and the king's son just happened uh, he he went missing along with his horse somehow in the area where she lived uh and nobody really liked her, so it was just like, oh, she must be a witch. Like, yeah, okay, all right. Uh, yeah, and she died because no one would help her because the the duke or... It was the duke, baron. right? It was the, the baron. baron. The baron. Yep. Uh, the baron decided, like, yeah, no, uh, she's evil. She's a witch. Uh, we're going to stone her cat to death, burn down all of her stuff, and cast her out. And no one should provide any help to her. If they provide help to her, they'll be seen as a witch, too, and they'll be killed. Like, just a politically convenient lynching, it would seem. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so she froze yeah. to death come winter. Mm-hmm. And, and that was tough. Like, in all of this yeah, goofy, lighthearted, like, wordplay, clever, dry humor stuff, it was just like, Pratchett really hits you with, like, oh, don't forget, like, the cultural role of witches, especially in feudal European societies and how they functioned as you know, satanic panic, paranoia scapegoats mm -hmm. for absolutely anything that was causing civil unrest. Yeah. Oh, there's a lonely woman? Well, that seems like the perfect person to use as a form of social ventilation. Yeah, no one's going to come to her defense because she has no one. So, easy scapegoat. Uh, and, and Tiffany kind of reflects on that, like, how fucking awful is that? You know, oh, we see witches and we call them evil in our stories just because they exist and because, you know, the princes and the princesses must be good because they are the princes and the princesses. They're blonde, they have blue eyes, they're handsome because of course they are. But witches just, you know, are lonely and they know things and that's that's enough to condemn them. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that Tiffany realizes she doesn't see herself in the prince or the princess or any of the other storybook roles. So she says, well... I have to be the witch, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it was the blonde people with blue eyes and the redheads with green eyes who got the stories. If you had brown hair, you were probably just a servant or a woodcutter or something. Or a dairymaid. Well, that was not going to happen, even if she was good at cheese. She couldn't be the prince, and she'd never be a princess, and she didn't want to be a woodcutter. So she'd be the witch, and know things, just like Granny Aching. And, like, yeah. Yeah, that is that is definitely some shit. Uh, mm-hmm. Realistically, I feel like if you are a person in this day and age complaining about how there's, you know, no good story representation for brown-haired white girls, uh, you're wrong. Uh, Included, but, you know, actually, you're less wrong than the people who I have seen genuinely and passionately arguing that uh, there hasn't been a blonde Disney princess in in so long. There hasn't been a blonde Disney princess in decades. This is ridiculous. And it's like, okay, one, you're forgetting about Rapunzel. And two... Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because she ends right the movie with brown hair doesn't mean she's not a fucking blonde. What do you see her yep. in any promotional material? She's got the whole hair. <laughs> yeah, you never see promotional material with uh, post-movie Rapunzel. No, of course not. That won't sell dolls. <laughs> yeah. Also, talking about splitting hairs, fucking uh, Elsa... Like is white hair. That's close enough. Who cares? Yeah. Blonde. So counts. So comparing this uh, section about like the role of powerful women being marginalized in society, or not even powerful women, but even powerless women, lonely mm-hmm. women without any social support, being like convenient scapegoats in society. It was uh, interesting to compare this back to. Uh, famed feminist Ursula K. Le Guin's early portrayals of uh, magic women being sort of, you know, hand-waved away in Tales of Earthsea and made you think, like, yeah, who's the real feminist here? And these books are, like, 40 years apart. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I... is, that is true. Though, I will say that was Ursula K. Le Guin's first real foray into that specific genre. And she got, like, way, way better about you know, women in fantasy representation after the fact. She just needed oh, to get yeah. her foot in the door. I was doing a uh, deliberately uncharitable comparison of two people writing in totally different contexts. Fair. I just wanted, as the person who I think is the only one who looks at our Twitter, I, I wanted to be, <laughs> I didn't, I wanted to get out in front of anything there. No, I'm just <laughs> clowning on it by saying Pratchett's a bigger feminist than Le Guin, which uh, you cannot seriously argue that much he's great but uh and 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 had very positive feelings towards trans people despite what a lot of uh what a lot of turfs claim yeah and you know i was i remember that coming up a couple years ago and i was thinking about like when did pratchett die because i wonder i don't want to like cast a hypothetical about like uh in the future pratchett would have sucked but like, it's, I mean, die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Like, I wonder how the shift in cultural landscape would have changed Pratchett mm-hmm. in the year of, and what sort of shape he would have taken in the year 2022. Well, I can't imagine be, he would get, like, wrapped up in turfness. He's one of those dudes that's kind of just inherently based. Yeah. According to his daughter, he actually, he did know that, you know, a lot of trans people sort of saw him, saw uh, saw themselves in his depiction of dwarves and he outright celebrated that he was like that wasn't what i was thinking when i made them but if that helps you feel seen and understood then i'm glad i could do that for you mm-hmm. you know like a decent fucking person <laughs> he's, yeah he's one of the good ones <laughs> yeah um uh, it just i saw that resurfacing because uh because sandman is happening right now the sandman show Mm -hmm. is going on and people are coming after neil gaiman as a result and neil gaiman was friends with terry pratchett and knew terry pratchett and worked closely with him on multiple things and it's like by association people are now that whole argument is now resurfacing and he was going off about it the other day just like shut the fuck up you don't know my friend terry better than i did you don't you never had this conversation with him i did Yep. I've loved all the, as a side note, I've loved all the uh, people complaining about uh, the Sandman being woke and they need to be true to the source material. Oh my god. Oh, Gaiman posting, 
posting. Why are there all these up? LGBT characters in Sandman all of a sudden? And then he'll post they panels of the comic. <laughs> they'll post panels of the comic and say, "Oh yes, if only they stayed true to the source material." Right my, here. Uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> my beloved fiance Jay also named uh, dropped his daughter Rihanna Pratchett, yes. uh, who is cool as hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. I can't believe they made Sandman woke. That's <laughs> so fucking stupid. Yeah, they made I Lucifer didn't know what I didn't... instead of David Bowie. How oh, dare you not cast that. David Bowie as Lucifer? Back when, look, back when I read Sandman when I was eight years old, I didn't know what a lesbian was. And now that I'm a grown-ass man watching it on Netflix, I know about what lesbians are. This is not acceptable. My kids are watching this because I put it on all day and yell at it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's the exact same people who are upset that the She-Hulk show is a comedy. Yep. Ugh. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah. Media literacy is fun. Media literacy. Imagine being literate in the media. Imagine being literate in anything. They can't. <laughs> Why nope. isn't the comics the same as it was when it was comics and it's a TV now in a different social setting? How dare. Where queerness isn't, like, uh, left to allegory and subtext i can't even imagine well here's the thing as we all know there are only two orientations there's straight and political and there's two genders there's there's men and political and and the two races are white and political so i mean though oddly the only the only race that's allowed the only uh, groups that are allowed to hold political office are the are not the political groups if the political groups are holding political office that's being too then political, political. <laughs> damn dude i just I miss, like, the old Metal Gear Solids back before it got all political. <laughs> Metal Gear Solids suddenly got so political. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fucking. <laughs> it used to just be about sneaking and disarming nukes. But saw... now, you know, it's got to be all about, oh, geopolitics. Oh, nations I... and the military-industrial complex. Oh, all right. I saw a fucking think piece talking about, like, oh, I bet you didn't get the secret message behind this part of... Uh of metal gear solid and it was just that you know soldiers are treated as a disposable class and nuclear weapon nuclear weapons are always a bad idea like that's that's surface level understanding of metal gear yes. solid that is a that is a like a deep and incisive uh media interpretation for somebody who played through the first four metal gear solids thinking that the core theme of the series was you can sneak <laughs> That's what Sometimes. the core theme of the narrative was, was sneaking. Smoke to, to lower your uh, your stress level. Oh. Oh, Media literacy, not... ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so we free men. We free men. So the we free men aren't literate at all. But yes. No, <laughs> they are Great. We'll get actively, <laughs> vehemently illiterate. Yeah. Uh, they much prefer drinking, fighting, drinking and fighting, stealing and fighting, drinking and stealing, stealing, drinking and fighting, and cussing, and w- doing their kilts and bagpipes. Mm-hmm. I'm Mouse glad this pipes. isn't political or uh, <laughs> reflect on any sort of like ethnic group or not. It shouldn't even say ethnic group, but it's like, you know, even just regional yeah. popul- pop- polity. Yeah, and uh, their, women are, their women are brood queens. <laughs> that was an interesting... Are they like bees? That's what I. That's the impression I get is that they're rather like bees. Um, when you see them in future um, books in the series, yeah, each each clan has their own uh, matriarch, and when a new yeah, when a when one of them dies, a new one takes its place, and they marry between clans, and there's a whole there's a whole thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's literally what bees do, actually. Yes. Yeah, no, there's a lot they're of comparisons bees. to bees. Yeah, uh, but before we learn that. She goes back home and just, like, starts to have a bunch of chores taken care of for her by these wee free men. Because she catches them, uh, she catches them stealing a lamb and, uh, trying to steal eggs and shit. And they're like, oh, fuck, you're a witch. You can see us. We gotta go. Uh, oh, nay, miss. I, we I don't love... can be stealing none of the... No, nothing. <laughs> I love the egg-stealing scene where they're just, like, blatantly lying, like, Eggs? I thought these were stones, stones. They're just stones, <laughs> like just blatantly well, lying to her face. Tiny little rocks. <laughs> they're because... cheeky like that. They're cheeky little buggers. 
Yeah, they they just drink and fight and steal and lie and they're stupid and they don't deserve their own country and <laughs> you know, they need the firm guiding hand of a, uh, you know, imperial power to direct them to productivity. But fuck you if you try to unionize. How dare you? <laughs> uh, me, 9F, uh, am struggling with my thousands of 30M uh, pix- pixies unionizing. Uh, yeah, but so she starts um, to talk to them and she learns their names and they get really upset. And, you know, don't want to share their names because they're worried that uh, that their names might get written down on things like wanted posters and affidavits and other other such things that hold great power they're right oh, though yeah. in case they're written yeah. down i and put on complicated documents and summonses and such things or wanted posters i and bills and affidavits writs of distrainment even uh, they think all writing is magic words worry them see their swords they glow br- blue in the presence of lawyers <laughs> They're right, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's the thing Swords because those glow. are those are powerful words. That is that mm-hmm. is a word and name being used. Being that used is the we- to that is the weapon someone. of their. I mean, you want to draw it back to Scottish people that that shit is the weapon of the imperial uh, hegemonic power, bureaucracy that yes. communicates the authority of the state at a distance to you, the you know the the colonized subject. Yep. Yeah. It just, I just, I just fucking love that too because then, of course, my mind. I, I've been rewatching Lord of the Rings lately because I wanted mm-hmm. to rewatch it before watching Lord, uh, watching uh, Rings, of Power, Rings of Power. Even though it's, you know, it's set during what the Second Age, yeah, not it's you thousands know, the of end years of the before. Third Age. Yeah, dude. Uh, I got a. Yeah, dude. I got a uh, pro gamer tip. I got a secret for you. You can just watch the old movies and then not watch Rings of Power. I could also do that, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I'm enjoying watching watching the trilogy, uh, the the yes. Lord of the Rings trilogy, not the Hobbit trilogy. I, I might yeah, watch that. What, what Hobbit trilogy? There wasn't a Hobbit trilogy, anyway. <laughs> uh, but it just because I've been absorbing Tolkien media lately. Of course, as soon as it was like, oh yeah, they glow blue in the presence of lords. Like, okay, all right, fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now we've just got yeah. orc lawyers. We've got orc that is, lawyers. No, that, <laughs> uh, that's that high fantasy parody moment. A sword yes. that glows blue in the presence of lawyers. And <laughs> high, uh, yes. And high fantasy parody is why Discworld was born. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. You've got the... Uh, oh God. You've got a judge whose gavel is in the shape of... Uh, what is it? Uh, Krom? The, the giant battering ram from the Battle of Minas Tirith. Grand, Grand, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, now I You're need to see a whole... <laughs> Yes. Oh, but... <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, Tiffany's getting help <laughs> the around the house. sit on the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just real life, Mel. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure who I trust more. <laughs> The Witch King of Angmar doesn't make doesn't make shit decisions, <laughs> but no living no living man can kill him. So. <laughs> oh God! Oh, we've got an energy tonight. Um, Indeed, we oh. we are d- delirious on the fumes of uh, Pratchett's high octane fantasy parody. I don't know about you. I'm delirious from starting a new uh, anti anxiety med. Oh, <laughs> it, 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 uh, yeah, me too. Which is another Jack Daniels on the rocks. <laughs> Fun. I uh, yeah. Oh yeah. She also fights the headless horseman. She oh yeah, fights, that's important. Um, yeah, <laughs> she was on her way into town to go to go find uh, the teachers again and get another mm-hmm. egg's worth of knowledge because that's what they accept in payment. Yeah. And yeah, suddenly it starts to snow. Yeah, on her way back, uh, because she finds she goes to town and she finds that uh, Miss Tick is gone, but she's left her toad. She's left her mm-hmm. toad there to help guide uh, Tiffany. I keep forgetting her name because I want to keep calling her Tiff. I'm just gonna call her Tiff. 
that's okay. <laughs> not to be confused with Tip from uh, from the Oz books. Or maybe I, that was Tip. I can't remember anymore. Either way, whatever. I remember. <laughs> not to be yes. confused with Ozma. Uh, oh, yeah. I should read those at some point. We should read them on here. Yes, we should. Let's, let's do it. They're weird as hell. Um, I'm here for it. But anyway, uh, yeah, so she she takes the toad with her and she talks with him a little bit about, you know, the nature of his existence and how Miss Tick is going and she's going to try and find more witches to come help because there's an incursion happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and, oh yeah, that gives rise to, like, one of my favorite exchanges in the whole book. It's, like, mm -hmm. just really, yeah, encapsulates Tiffany, where, you know, he explains another world is colliding with this one. He says, but it's happening faster than she expected, meaning Miss Tick. It says, all the monsters are coming back. And Tiffany says, why? Says, There's no one to stop them. And there was silence for a moment. There's me, said Tiffany. And that's, I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, she talks to the Toad Man and realizes, like, oh, God, he doesn't know. He thinks he was a human once. He has a couple of memories, but he's not sure <laughs> if he really was a human. Uh, yeah. He knows that a fairy godmother put him in the form he is right now. But he doesn't know if he used to be a human and is now a toad, or he was a toad that the fairy godmother burdened with consciousness and <laughs> implanted memories of having been human in there. It's like, what the what the fuck? Are we going to talk about the nature of what it is to be human in this book, spurred on by a fucking toad? And he like he reasons that it'll be a lot easier, you know, practically speaking, to meddle with to mess with a toad's head than it would be to change a whole human into a toad. Yeah, where I mean... does the mask go? Where does the rest of the mask go? <laughs> yep. That's so fucking wild, and I love it, and I want more exploration of it, but I know we're not going to get it. I, I know mean, that we're comes not up in... Because that would be that... funny to Terry Pratchett. It's mm -hmm. funnier to him to just leave that in there and make us go, what the fuck? What the <laughs> fuck am I reading? But, they, that, but that comes up in Animorphs, right? When you transform into an, an ant, all of your mass goes to a pocket dimension. And we, I, you know what? I remember mm -hmm. we discussed this. It goes this. to Z-Space. We did discuss this. It goes this. to, to Z-Space, which, as we discussed, is also the medium by which spaceships do uh, faster than light travel, which made me think that what if you put your human body into Z-Space and then a ship just goes through it and then your body is jelly and you're like, oh, I can't turn back from an ant. I and guess that... I'm an ant forever now. <laughs> That is a known phenomena. That that is a known phenomenon that has happened canonically in the Animorphs universe. I mean, of course it has. Yeah. Once you make the possibility, you, you gotta do it. Yeah. Don't like that. Do not like no, that. Don't like uh, that. You can follow all the rules of transformation and still get stuck. Still yeah. be an Othlet. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like all of this fucking technology doesn't keep you from you know having. Uh, having your entire essence destroyed by the wheels of militarization. Damn. <laughs> Damn. So, uh, speaking of things getting destroyed by the wheels of militarization, uh, Tiff's little brother gets kidnapped while she's gone. Like, while oh, no. she's doing her chores and, and fighting, uh, fighting the headless horseman. I can't remember. Oh God. What's the name of the type of creature that the headless horseman is? A dullahan. Dullahan, yes, thank you. I don't know why I forget that. That's the, like, secret super boss in Golden Sun. Uh, yes. But I managed to always forget the name Dullahan. <laughs> yep. uh, and, she, and the like, trick to defeating him is, uh, like, to look him in the eyes that aren't there. Yeah. Stare him down, stare him down right where his head would be. Which, that's a real Chad move to defeat a Dullahan. I really mm -hmm. like that that's the seat. First off, I love, uh, I love intimidating, like, magical... Uh, enemies that are defeated with weird tricks. Yeah. D Dullahan's hate her. This nine-year-old learned the one <laughs> trick to defeat Dullahan's. Uh, but, but yeah, her, her brother gets kidnapped because her sisters were watching him and they weren't actually watching him. They were just watching the sweaty shirtless men who were shearing the sheep and it's like, oh, yeah, all right, okay. You know, that, that's, that's, that's bad, but it's fair. Uh, you're teenagers. I mean, that's why but you have also, a nine-year-old sister put... is to watch after the sticky brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. have your nine-year-old watch out for your four-year-old instead of your, you know, 15-year-olds watching out for your nine-year-old. Oh, this is a feudal pastoral society. Those 15-year-olds, they those 15-year-olds do have to be really concerned about getting married to, like, the guy that can throw the biggest haunch of beef in the village. 
Yeah. Yep. If he can shear a sheep, he's a good husband. Yeah. How many sheep can he shear in the course of an hour? Uh, but yeah, so she she goes off looking for him, specifically with the help of all of the wee free men, and she goes looking for him, and she's reflecting on this story of her grandmother, uh, specifically thinking about like, oh, okay, there was this time that uh, one of the one of the baron's hunting dogs killed some of our sheep, so she like kept refusing to uh, kept refusing to get paid to you know not have to kill the dog. And eventually put him in a put him in a barn with a ewe and a lamb, and the ewe kicked the shit out of the hunting dog. Buddha. And she she refused to do anything and kept saying like, oh, what's you know, what's this law worth if if he can break it whenever he wants? What's what's his word worth if he just breaks it whenever he wants? And speaking truth he, to power. Yeah, specifically mentions something good, which is. A law that is break by silver, siller or guilt is no worthwhile law. It's like, yeah, uh, that's one hundred percent a thing. Just like, I mean, that's just that's just the equivalent of the modern saying of uh, any law where the penalty is a fine is only illegal for the poor. We've recently yeah. in America been encountering the resurgence of an old line by uh, former President Richard Nixon: uh, "If the president does it, it's not illegal," which is this retro logic that is really sort of tearing its way through our culture and like. Mm-hmm. raises a lot of interesting questions it does mm-hmm. like hold on what's the point of a president again it's uh <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. What's the, well th- there's the question what's the point of laws if they are if you can be in a position where they don't apply to you but yes. also like if a president can do something and by nature of being president makes it not illegal does that not incentivize all criminals to be president for mm-hmm. the absolution of any crime they do yep Man, do you think someone Only would do some that? become though. president to to commit crimes? You think <laughs> you think that would happen? You really think someone would do that? Just go into the presidential <laughs> office just to commit crimes? Yeah. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, and I like after this uh, scene, after when she's reflecting on you know being at home and hearing the adults talk about it when they think she's not listening, and her father says that maybe this taught the Baron that sheep can rise up. Mm-hmm. And Ooh, her mom was, that was the line. Know, yeah, yeah. yeah things were a lot easier after that. The bailiff was a little less unpleasant when rents were late. The baron was a little more polite to people. And Tiffany's father said one night after two beers that the baron had shown had been shown what happens when sheep rise up, and, th- and things might be different one day. And her mother hissed at him not to talk like that because you never know you never knew who was listening. Like hell. Ooh, yes. sniff, sniff. What's that? Class <laughs> consciousness over here. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Uh, but eventually they kind of get led to the remains of her granny's house uh, and she meets with an aviator from from these folk she meets with a pixie aviator or Hamish Pisky, a pisky P- aviator pixie. It's, pixie. of course it's another pun they're, yeah. they're picts they're just tiny yeah. Scottish picts they're blue Pixies. yeah they're pixies pixies yeah uh, but yeah, they. She meets with an aviator who just like rides around on vultures, on buzzards, and jumps Dope. from them and embeds himself in the ground all the time. Dope. And she teaches him about what a parachute is, uh, which is nice. <laughs> but goddamn, and and he's like, yeah, no, I saw I saw her riding that way, but then she conjured up a mist and I couldn't see where it went. Uh, so they go back to their hive, essentially. Oh, hmm? sorry. Um, when you said her, I don't think we explained to the readers who oh, who yeah. has taken Wentworth. Yes, the the queen. The queen of Aaron Darkness. No, that's the, a reference uh, to our D and D game. But it, I mean, a fae, a, a mysterious fae queen. I mean, the queen of Aaron Darkness is another name of Queen Mab, who is the queen of the Unseelie Court. So of course, yeah. Of and course. She, this certainly is the queen of the Unseelie Court. Mm-hmm. Complete with summoning snow wherever her uh, domain starts to overlap. And snow turns, you know, normal dogs and wolves into like dire, into hellhounds and stuff like that. And that was fucking gruesome because Mm. they they talk about how, like, oh yeah, I wish people would be more, you know, more thoughtful whenever they create these monsters in their stories, whenever they tell stories about monsters. Because every time you tell a story about a monster, you speak that monster into existence. 
So these monstrous dogs had eyes that were literal flame and teeth made of razor blades. And of course, as soon as they leave the, like, magical overlap and get into the real world, real-world physics apply to them, and the dogs immediately slice up their fucking mouths and are bleeding all over the place because, uh, as she says, it hurts to jump with a mouthful of razor blades. Like, it sure does, I'd mm -hmm. imagine. <laughs> Yeah, which is why whenever I, which is why whenever I tell stories of monsters, they are uh, monsters that are you know great wolves, but like with the body of voluptuous women in their forties, and they <laughs> hunger not for blood but something else. <laughs> so that when uh, some sort of you know fey queen brings them into existence, it's like let's rock and roll. You're just being considerate of the monsters that could be, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why would you yeah. why would you envision a monster that you don't want to encounter? <laughs> uh, yeah. And so yeah, they go back to the hive to talk to essentially the queen bee of the Pixies, uh, and she's like, "Yeah, I knew your grandmother. She was great. She and I would get drunk and talk shit all the time." Uh, and you're gonna be my successor now. And her only daughter is very upset about that because she wants to stay and rule over the hive and apparently marry and have a bunch of kids with one of her brothers. Uh, alrighty. But she resents this position being inherited by an outsider. And a giant outsider at that. Uh, but, yeah, she gets... She gets this position, essentially, and she gets told, like, oh, here's where you'd have to go to, to like, find the gateway between our world and the magic world. And gets made their new leader, temporarily, while a new one, you know, comes in from the next group over. Mm -hmm. And then immediately it's like, oh, hey, yeah, you're supposed to marry someone? And... She chooses. And everyone's uh, uncomfortable with it. Everyone's just like, yeah, you have to pick one of the We Free Men to marry, and you have to name the date of your wedding. And she's like looking at them like, Ugh! and yeah, all of them are looking at her like, Ugh! yeah, they're like, she's, no, no she's too me. big, she's too young. I don't like this. Uh, but she and picks... she's like, these guys are like, <laughs> these guys are like gross stereotypes. Yeah. She picks her new buddy, Rob Anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, she picks him, and then it's like, oh, yeah, you have to pick your suitor, and then you have to pick the day of your wedding. And so she decides, like, oh, okay, here's the date of our wedding. At the end of the world, there's a mountain, and every year a bird flies to that mountain and rubs its beak on the stone on top. When that mountain is no more than a small pebble, that's the day I'll marry you. And he's just like, oh, thank Fuck, I don't actually have to marry you. God damn, that's a great riddle. Thank you so much it for that really... good-ass riddle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and then the other Weefree men are just like, oh, you want that mountain turned to dust? Like, let's get all our guys over there with, like, pickaxes and shit. And they're like, no, the bird has to do it. She was very clear about the it turns. Doesn't count. It doesn't count unless the bird does it. And they're like, all uh, right, all right, all right. Also, we discovered that the queen was once, uh, was once their leader. She was one of... Now four uh, non-Pixies to lead a tribe. And uh, that didn't go well because they they reject all, all rulership. <laughs> and yes. then also happened to be kicked out because she didn't like them. Uh, but then they go off and, you know, they're mourning and everything. But they, they go off and head to essentially Stonehenge to find this gateway to the Fey realm. And she's going around and she's trying to find it and she has no idea what she's doing. Meanwhile, all the Pixies can see the gateway, but they're not telling her where it is because it's like, well, we shouldn't follow her. What kind of fucking witch is she if she can't see this gateway? Like, we maybe we shouldn't follow her if she can't see it. And they're, they're just, you know, waiting patiently for her to see it. And of course, eventually she does figure out where it is she doesn't actually like see it see it until she knows it's there 
but she figures out where it should be based off of her wits instead of using magic. Like, hell yeah, hell yeah, using your wits instead of magic. That's good, that's a good thing. It's like, yeah, yes. the, key to, the key to magic is knowing when not to use it, which is something Miss Tick taught her earlier in the book and she thought was bullshit. I mean, I also think the real magic is deductive reasoning and critical thinking skills. Yeah, the real magic is reading. Yes. <laughs> and having a piece of string. Yes. And having a piece of string, yes. Um, but we sort of leave off with her entering entering this magical realm. Uh, she steps through a gateway and arrives in a black and white world, and that's kind of where we left things yep. for today's reading. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where this is going to go. Um, oh, yeah. I'm sure she's going to have to solve like another it. riddle to get her brother back and learn something about her own power as a young woman and a little bit more uh, resolution to the sort of like matrilineal hereditary anxieties about like, what really was the truth of my grandmother and what does her life mean for me in my life? That sort of yeah, thing. We're, we're, gonna, we're probably going to learn a little bit about why she can do magic despite being on chalk instead of stone. Yeah. Does her being able to do magic on chalk make her less able to do magic on stone? Is she sort of inverted in the earth rooting of witch's abilities? Or is she just that goddamn strong? She's going to be the archmage someday because she can do magic <laughs> even on chalk. I'd, I'd like oh, to man. see her be inverted and then just like go around sailing the world as like super powerful ocean witch. Oh, man. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, that kicks ass. <laughs> it does. I do appreciate... One thing I like about Pratchett's Discworld is, like, there are wizards, and they go to magic college and do things, but they're a lot of them are kind of pompous and not all that effective. Meanwhile, the witches go around, you know, treating treating illnesses and birthing sheep, and they, they get shit done. Doing the oh, real practical you mean like magic. In, uh, you mean, like, in fucking uh, Earthsea? Yes. Where the witches are doing most of the, like, relevant magic, and the wizards are just doing bullshit. <laughs> the wizards are just, I can make lights. Look. They, especially with that school, with, like, you know, oh, we've got the secret door to go in and the secret door to go out. Go over to this tower to, like, learn about silence for three months. It's a lot of, like, magic jerking each other off type stuff. Yes. Yeah, and Grin basically Grin every single teacher is teaching them a different style of illusion magic. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Granny Weatherwax would never... I don't know if we meet her in this one, but yeah, <laughs> it's gonna. I think you guys will like where this one's going. It's it's fun. Oh I yeah, am we also get it. introduced to the idea of the magic school in here, and that uh, to do it, she needs to open her eyes and then open her eyes a second time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, yeah, no, she needs she needs to use first sight or second sight. Truthfully, I didn't quite grasp the whole first sight thing, which is like seeing things that have already happened or seeing things like truthfully but second sight was witnessing things in real in like real time i didn't i didn't quite grasp that honestly yeah i think we see more of it and better explained it's yeah i forget to be honest <laughs> but it's more well, like seeing the way things really are and then yeah well y'all can join us next time as we mm -hmm. conclude terry pratchett's wonderful book the we free men here on on air book fair podcast uh let's do a little bit of plugs yeah. yeah. I guess I'll start because I said yeah first. Um, let's see. If you want more from Jay and I, we have been uh, doing our podcast, Shooting the Sheet, with Jay's fiance, Jay. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. All things tabletop RPG. Yeah. With some fun games and creative exercises along the way. Uh, I've also started streaming on Twitch. I do card-based things where, like, I'll open a bunch of magic cards and also, like, create a character backstory with a couple of booster packs or I'll open a bunch of Pokemon booster packs and do like a little like random trainer battle with a couple of the cards that I pull. It's a, it's a fun time. That's over on uh, my channel, Avatar Kiora. I'm sure it'll be in whatever link tree or whatever I have in the description. I don't remember anymore. Avatar Kiora, K-I-O-R-A. And um, our other podcasts that Jay mentioned earlier, you can find on mimicsmarket.com where we are uh, posting podcast but also like we're starting to sell cute little uh pop culture memorabilia and jewelries gradually oh, hell yeah mimics market, awesome. mimics market is back up yeah cool oh um i also i think i've plugged it before but it's becoming more and more a real thing hmm? 
Send me the link for it. I have to put it in the thing. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, so I'm getting published in the second ever issue of Archive of the Odd. Uh, the theme is monsters. And the story is very fitting given my new occupation, new old occupation. And yes, here's a link. Yeah. Um, so I'm very excited about this one. Can't wait the to theme see is mo- the theme is monsters. That's a very broad theme. Like, it is. Have you seen like a, a strange range, a strange range of different interpretations of monsterhood? Like, are some of these monsters, you know, like wolves that take on the? Uh, anyway, I was gonna say I was gonna <laughs> say like wolves that take on the characteristics of uh, voluptuous forty somethings <laughs> with uh, you know? that are hungry for blood and something else. <laughs> so far i've not seen them but that's probably because i haven't seen the other stories yet there could be <laughs> it could happen <laughs> yes all right well it's been fun getting back to reading uh yes oh jay uh, uh we we had briefly brought up the idea of after finishing after finishing this at some point reading the uh one of the oz books is yeah. that something you'd be interested in what is the oz books and one of them, as you say. Well, there's one very well-known one. Um, the Wizard of Oz. The yeah. OG but Wizard what, of Oz. But what, was, but what was that written in, like, 1810 or something? I um, want to say, like, the 1910s. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think. Let's find out. No, no, the original, not the film. I want the book. Um, oh, it was written in the year 1900. May oh, 17th, great. 1900. Well, as long as James Franco isn't in it, I'll read anything. <laughs> it will be the oldest thing we've read so far. Yeah, right. fuck it. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, hold on. Let's find some YA literature from the 1800s. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean, that is one thing I like about fantasy from the turn of the century and like, even, you know, around World War II era. Fantasy was weird as fuck. Their fantasy like, would, like, like, go into such, like, high speculative... Uh, realms such as like what if an Irishman could operate a diesel engine wouldn't that be insane (laughs) (laughs) what if there was a transcontinental railroad what 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 if if, hear me out what if a ship went deep under the sea what if you could have a picture of somebody who lived on the opposite side of the continent in the new state of California and they could talk to you through the picture that's insane well that's that's just Charlie Bone (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happens. Uh, well, that's enough for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Hey, you, why don't you turn it off? Why don't you turn the podcast off and enjoy the silence of your own life for maybe 10 minutes at a time? That's it. Listen that's the, the end. Good. Your own head. Good night. Wait, hold on. What What if, has anyone done an audiobook of the dictionary? Like, start to finish? Shoot. I don't know. I finally I think we found could be the first. my calling. I think we could be the first. If you have the... You know, if you have the time for it, why don't you get that done? Anyone listening right now? You could do it. Okay. Uh, so many people are going to be listening to this that they're all going to try on it at once. Like, roll, like, you know, do a Google number randomizer from 1 to 26 and then start on that letter. Easy, right? Yeah. And me. Okay, good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> okay, that's, that's it for that the fucking podcast. Good, good job, team. That was <laughs> <laughs>